everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Happy to be back with you guys. Uh, this past week was great. Some of you went to Cedarville. Um, uh, you know, you guys learned about a few things. We're challenged in a lot of ways. Um, food is love, right? Uh, if you're there, you know. Uh, <laughs> now, it was a great time. We enjoyed it. Uh, we loved it. And <clears throat> Cedarville was kind of just like the, uh, maybe the back end of it, right? But before that, we had been, and me personally, have been on several different trips this past uh, these past couple of weeks uh, with several of you going on different missions trips, different camps, um, and each and every single one has been amazing. Each and every one has uh, in its own way been incredibly impactful in my own lives and hopefully in yours as well. Uh, you know, the, the upperclassmen going to the DR overseas and getting to see how uh, God is at work even when we don't see it literally. Uh, in different countries, in different places, and it might not look the same as here, but um, he is at he is at work, and and we got to be a part of that in some way, and we got to uh, be challenged in different ways as well. We got to go to camp uh, where Pastor Eric uh, challenged us throughout the week. A lot of you went up to Word of Life, and that was amazing. And and then this past week, we got to go to Cedarville um, just to learn about uh, who God is, uh, learn about the Trinity. Uh, understand who God is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, be challenged in that way. And for me, I thought that was an incredibly fruitful time as well. Uh, but all that being said, today my hope is to kind of just encourage each and every one of you, uh, whether you went on a trip or not, um, but especially if you have. Uh, these trips tend to be these mountaintop experiences. You guys are on fire for the Lord. You guys are encouraged. You guys are challenged, motivated, and you come back really, uh, really enthusiastic and bold about your faith, uh, knowing more about who God is and uh, what He has done for you. And a lot of you even have made decisions. A lot of you made decisions these past couple of weeks. Uh, maybe some of you dedicated um, your lives to him, uh, whatever that might look like, whether it's a certain decision, vocationally sometimes, um, you know, that might look different in each, every one of your lives, but you made some specific decision. Uh, maybe some of you in this room have made a decision to place your trust in Jesus, and I couldn't be happier for you. Uh, but with all that being said, you know, we, we come back from these places, and we've made all these decisions and then what's next, right? What happens after that? And personally speaking, you know, I went to a lot of these camps and a lot of these speakers that are at these places and, and they share with you that they have been in your shoes before, they have gone through these experiences and they go home after everything and they're excited and yet they just fall right back into their same old lifestyles, the same habits they have, the same patterns of life and nothing really changes, um, you know, whether it's not understanding what's next and what they should be doing or what that looks like or what God desires for them, um, or just simply coming back and not changing, not being willing to change and, and not taking those steps 
to pursue a godly life. Now, uh, this morning, I want to challenge us and encourage us and maybe uh, go through a few things here that hopefully uh, identify what that might be and, and identify how we could potentially take those next steps. A lot of the times we come back from these experiences or even just in general when we are saved and we give our lives to the Lord and, and when we're asking God, hey, what do you want for my life? We have these big questions, these, these, um, these questions that seemingly are attached to decisions. A lot of the times we come to God and we think of his will for our lives and we think, of, okay, well, what does God want me to do with my life? What does God want me, uh, where, where does he want me to go for school, for example? Uh, does he want me to do this? Does he want me to work here? Who should I marry? Is this the right person that I should marry? Um, and we ask these, these really important questions. However, a lot of the times these questions are asked. A lot of the times we ask these questions in crisis as well, which we should do. But I want to challenge that train of thought today and, and maybe change our focus. Um, because a lot of the times, again... These questions that we ask in regards to God's will are uh, decision-based. It's an action that we need to take, um, what God wants for us. But I want to maybe shift our attention and, and maybe instead of asking, hey, what is God's will for my life and putting, on the emphasis, and, and putting the emphasis on what does God want me to do, I want to focus more on who does God want me to be? Who does God want you to be? You know, again, that's not something we generally, or if we're being honest, tend to ask when we're considering God's will for our lives. A lot of the times it is based on what he wants you to do, but we neglect to think, hey, who does God call me to be? And in, and in today's uh, passage, as we flip over to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 18, if you have your Bibles, it's really short It'll be on the screen, and you can follow along. You might even be able to memorize it just from seeing it on the screen this morning. We find a few verses here, a few words that are considered and known as the standing orders of the church. And if you want to know God's will for your life, this is a great place to start. If you want to know what God wants you, uh, who God wants you to be, uh, this is a great place to look. As you look at the previous verses here in this chapter, in verses 12 through 15, he is addressing interpersonal relationships. And then as he gets to these verses, he is talking about our attitude. And this is what he says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of, uh, of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Now, as you look at this on the screen, you'll see here that each and every one of these is an imperative. Now, I'm not too far removed from school, um, so I'm assuming you guys know what that is. I know that you guys must have learned that, and you guys are aware what that is, but if you don't, an imperative means that this is a command, right? This is a command that is given to us, which means Paul's not really talking about your feelings. He's not talking about how you feel, your emotions, because for the most part, we can't really control that. It's not really consistent. It changes very often, and Paul here is instead addressing our mindset and our focus. Um, as you look at the screen here, you see these couple of verses, and you can read it, and it's pretty easy to understand, right? I mean, it doesn't seem overly complicated, 
uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It's very straightforward, right? It's easy, like I said, to understand. Think of chess, for example. Right, I know I even saw some of you playing chess this morning. But chess, if you were to play chess, some of you may play chess. I don't play chess because I don't got the, <laughs> I don't got the know-how. I have not spent enough time dedicated uh, my life to it. But to play chess, it maybe takes you about five to ten minutes to understand how it works. You understand the rules and you can theoretically play chess. You know what it's like. It's easy, in a sense, to understand. But... In order to really know how to play, it takes you probably around, I would say, like two years. If you're, if you're good at chess or if you've played chess, you know that it takes you quite a while to actually understand how the game works and to get actually semi-decent at it. Now, if you want to be the best, it's probably going to take you like 10 years or something to be like a grandmaster, which is, if not mistaken, the highest level or ranking for somebody that plays chess. But whatever it is, that's just one example of something that seemingly looks very easy on the surface, but is a lot more difficult than you would expect. For me, you know, I think of saving money, right? Saving money. Well, it seems very easy. I have X amount of money. I'm only going to spend X amount of money or Y amount of money so that I have Z amount of money, right? I'm going to save my money. I'm going to spend less so that at the end I have more. Very straightforward, no? Seems very easy to understand, but only two or three trips later to Chipotle, you realize everything I just planned for is out the window, right? Everything that you, that you try to put in your head that you seemingly understood is actually harder than it looks. And I'd say the same thing for these, right? We know what God wants us to be. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be people who are praying always. He wants us to be filled with thanksgiving. However, these modifiers that are attached to each of these imperatives, they make these commands incredibly difficult for every one of us. Right? I get it to be joyful, but you're asking me to be always joyful. I get that I need to be somebody who prays, somebody that prays, but to pray continuously is a little more difficult. To be somebody that gives thanks. Okay, I get that. I can give thanks. Hey, thank you for this. Hey, thank you for that. But to be somebody who is giving thanks in all circumstances is a little bit trickier. It may make sense. It might be easy to understand. But implementing that in our lives, in our day-to-day, is more difficult than it looks. However, the big key thing here as you look at the screen is the end portion of that text there. And it gives us a clue as to how we can actually begin to obey these commands. It says here, we must be in Christ Jesus. Uh, The honest truth is without being in a union with Jesus, throughout the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we could never obey these commands. We couldn't actually ever do this. This would be impossible for us to actually see this out without the indwelling Holy Spirit. We couldn't even come close to obeying what he's saying here. But from the moment that we are placed in a union with Jesus, the moment that we trust him to save us from God's judgment, the judgment that we deserve because of our sins, it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and satisfaction and redemption. 
to obey these impossible commands, you must have experienced a new birth so that we are in Christ and he dwells in us. And once we have learned to abide in him and that we trust in him to work through us, then we will progressively, more and more, each and every day through a process of a sanctification, we can become conformed to the image of his son. As you look at Jesus, as you look at his son, you see that Jesus is always rejoicing. Jesus is always praying. Jesus is always thankful, and that is key. That is essential in being more like him, in relying on him. These are the keys to becoming like him in these three qualities. You'll see it on the screen. All of God's commandments in the Bible are beyond our ability to obey in the flesh, so we must rely on his indwelling Holy Spirit. I'll say it again, all of God's commandments in the Bible are beyond our own ability to obey in the flesh. So we must rely on his indwelling Holy Spirit. And as we look at scripture, thankfully scripture kind of offers up some help in understanding what these commands mean and how we can begin to develop these in, in, in obedience in accordance to what he's called us to in the right attitude, the right habits to help us move towards that mark. Again, Understanding that we will never actually get there. Sanctification does not mean that we are perfect tomorrow. Let me give you a heads up. Nobody is perfect. And in this life, this side of eternity, you never will be. Uh, But throughout our lives in a relationship with the Lord, we each and every day can strive to be more and more like him. Furthermore, again, pushing towards the mark. Again, we may not necessarily be perfect or obey these commands perfectly, that does not justify or does not mean that we are excused from pursuing and following the commands that he's given us. As we look here again, I'll read it for us in its entirety, and then we'll look at each single command that he gives and try to break these down for us. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the first thing that he says here is be joyful. Be joyful always. In Philippians 4, 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, again, before we understand what this means, let me clarify what it doesn't mean, again, as we tend to do here. Paul is not saying that we should be happy all the time. That would be foolish. That doesn't make sense for us. There are things in our lives that bring us unhappiness, circumstances that bring sadness. A lot of you have experienced that. A lot of you know what I'm talking about, so there's no sense into really going into that in depth because you know that there are things that happen in our lives that make us sad, that, that make us grief. But Paul is not saying, throw on a happy face, smile, pretend that everything is okay, when honestly you're, you're, you're grieving and you are in pain. He's not saying that to pretend. To, 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 to make it seem as though everything is all right. That is the command. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is to be joyful always. And let me tell you, joy is something that is much deeper than happiness. Joy is different than being happy. Having joy, understanding what that is, right? Joy is different because it's anchored in our relationship with God. It is totally unrelated to the circumstances that you face. There are things that happen in your life that make you happy. Right? You might win uh, a brand new car for your birthday. You might win, you might score, or you might get 
whatever it is, a good grade. You might win a national tournament in sports, whatever it is that you like to do. These things, these circumstances, these events that happen in your life, they might make you happy. And I'm not denying that. They do. But joy, joy is separate because it derives from a deep-seated confidence and not your own ability and what you do, the things that you accomplish, but in God's love, his power, and his work in your life. The deeper the roots are, the deeper they extend into your relationship with God, the more joy you will know. So what does that mean? Something very obvious there is that in order to experience this joy that he is talking about here, you must have what? A relationship with God. In order for you to experience this confidence in God, you must know who he is. You have to have a relationship with him. If not, you cannot know this kind of joy that he is talking about. That is the prerequisite of this joy. True joy, to understand it, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Raise your hand here if you've ever gotten seasick. Who here gets seasick when they're on a, on a boat or whatever? Okay, yeah, kind of. Well, we went on a trip a few years back. I went to the DR with a few of you in this room. Um, we went to the Dominican Republic, and we were on a boat ride for quite a while. And that was not a fun boat ride. Well, it was fun for different reasons, but um, it, it was kind of nauseating. It was not the best in that sense. However, let me tell you this. Um, you know, I've seen and I've read, and it helped me while I was there, and it's helped me since. But the reason we get seasick and, and what happens is, is we are focusing so much on, you know, the, the, the source of the circumstance. Meaning we focus on the boat, we focus on things that are going on. But try this. Next time you're on a boat, if you do get seasick or if you do ever feel yourself getting seasick, try doing this. Set your eyes on something that is on land, where you're headed. Fix your eyes on that and focus on that rather than what's going on around you. I guarantee you that if you do that, you'll start to feel better. And the reason that is, the reason that happens is, is because, you, again, you're not looking at what's confusing you, what's offsetting the, the balance system that is within you. Instead, Instead of trying to look at the things that are causing these ups and downs, your eyes are fixed upon an immovable object. Something that is not affecting your uncertainty. You know, I, you know if I had tried to do that on our trip there, I, I would have looked. There would have been times that I would have been distracted, obviously, with Chase, Benny dancing. It's kind of inevitable that you're going to take your eyes off of wherever you're looking and refocus uh, elsewhere. But... If, you're, if your focus is ahead and it's, not, and it's not on the things or the people around you that are bouncing up and down, moving, things changing, but instead fix on something that does not move, that is constant, then you'll find that you start to get better. So let me ask you, do you want to experience real joy? Because if you want to experience real joy that's how you experience real joy. You don't set your eyes on the circumstances that are around you, the things that are upsetting or kind of changing, obscuring 
your circumstances affecting you, the storms of life, but instead you're fixed on what does not change, what is constant, and that is God, the nature, the character, and the promise of God who does not change. Uh, John MacArthur, he says this, there's a number of different constants that we can take away from uh, during the circumstances of life that we can focus on, and I'll give you here a few of them. He says, God's righteous character, Christ's redemptive work, the Holy Spirit's ministry on our behalf, the spiritual blessings we possess, God's providence as he orchestrates everything for our benefit, the promise of future glory, answered prayer, the gift of God's word, deep and sincere relationships with the body of Christ, and the privilege of being able to share life-changing message of the gospel. You know what's funny about this list? The thing that's interesting about this list is that if I went around the room this morning and I asked you guys, hey, what brings you joy? What brings you joy, true joy? I want you to be honest with yourself. Who here would have said any of these things on that list? If I ask you what brings you joy, a lot of the times what happens is you say, oh, well, good health. You know, my family, my achievements, these experiences that I have. A lot of these things are, are good for us. But again, it shows very clearly that our focus is not on the character of God, which is stable and unchanging. But a lot of the times our focus is instead on the circumstances that are determined by the storms and the things that we face in life. We're focused on what's going on as opposed to who is in control of it all. And that's, that's the problem. Not to say that those things aren't good, but our focus should be on God. If we, if we try to work out our own joy, if we try to create it, if we try to produce joy, we're actually working against joy. When we look to our activities and our devices to bring us joy, we are not looking at the Lord. When we are relying on external things, we are distracted from the internal work of God's Spirit. The harder we work to find joy, the further we drift from the Lord and that joy we are looking for. Pray continually. That is the next challenge that Paul has for us. He says, pray continuously. Continuously pray. And that, obviously, as you read different versions of the Bible, may say pray continually or pray without ceasing, but that means the same thing. And a lot of times we see this, and you may be quick to dismiss it, quick to kind of put that off. Be like, well, if I were to pray all the time, I would be useless. I wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. If I'm just with my eyes closed at every moment of the day, on my, on my knees and praying to God, I wouldn't do anything. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that we have to be in corporate prayer circles, that we have to have these formal prayer meetings and formal prayers. He isn't saying that we should be, again, on our hands and our, and our knees with our eyes closed every single day at every moment of the day. That is only one kind of prayer. Instead, what Paul is saying is that we should be in constant communication with God. 
And honestly, if we were in constant communication with God, we, we would see the benefits that that has in our lives. And you say, well, I can't be in constant communication with somebody. That seems impossible, right, to be talking to somebody all day. But trust me, I've been in your shoes before, and I know that it's not. You know, I know you guys out there, when there's, you know, girls in your school that you like, you text them all day long, and you say the same things over and over just so you can talk to them. You might ask them, hey, what's up, about a million times throughout the day. Girls, same thing. You guys text, right? You guys know that communication is not just face-to-face, right? You guys, what, Snapchat nowadays, right? Duck face, boom, send it, this sent. Be real. Hey, let me, post, let me post a picture of myself, and then you turn around and post it again. Uh, the same picture of yourself. Uh, be real. There is Instagram story. You want to let everybody know. You DM each other. Oh, that's so cool. Yada, yada, yada. You call them. You FaceTime them. And if you're a real romantic, you still send letters. But there is several different ways to communicate. And you know this. You know that that's the case in your relationships with one another. It's the same way with God. It's talking to him throughout the day. And it's not just asking him for something. It's praying continuously about different things. And praying also sometimes means that you're listening. Think of a marriage. My wife, my beautiful wife is here today. But, you know, we spend so much time together that we start to understand each other. Because we spend so much time with one another. We can know what each other are thinking, to sense that something is wrong or something is funny. We can finish each other's sentences. But the more you spend time with somebody in communication with them, the more you start to understand who they are. In prayer, it doesn't mean that you're just sitting there and asking God, hey, can I have this? Can I have that? I need you for this. But prayer can look different. It can be that you're confessing sin. It can be that you're expressing appreciation for God's creative uh, wonders, the things that he has given you, the things that he has made. It means sometimes that you express your love to him. You admit your fears and your worries, your anxieties, and you cast that on him. It means that sometimes you give thanks. You seek him for guidance. And there are times that you cry out to him so that he aligns your hearts with the heart of God. And if you will, there are times that we need to discuss things with the Lord. To pray without ceasing means that we are living and thinking in the presence of God. And then he says here, lastly, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul tells us to give thanks in every circumstance. Again, going back to this idea that not everything is good, right? When we talk about uh, being thankful, we talk about being joyful. We know, and it's very obvious, that all, not all circumstances are a reason to give thanks. It doesn't seem that way, at least. right? When we look at injustice in the world, when we look at death, tragedy, war, disease, these things uh, are not necessarily good things. However, what's different and what he's really saying here is that I'm not going to be content and thankful for those things, but I will be thankful during those things. In the midst of all of those circumstances, I will give thanks. And like joy, thankfulness is not anchored in the circumstance itself. It is anchored in your relationship with God. For example, we can be thankful that we are forgiven and loved in Christ. 
that nothing can separate us from God's love, that God is working in every circumstance, that he will supply our needs, that he will give us strength when we need it, that when we live even though we die in this, in this earthly tent that we are living in is destroyed, we have an eternal house, an eternal home in heaven. And if we get this, if we understand the implications of these truths, then we will be able to be grateful in every circumstances. We not only be thankful, we should not only be thankful for God during the hard times, but also grateful in the good times. To be thankful in every circumstance means that we recognize in the difficult times the lack of strength that we have, our weaknesses, and then in the good times it means that we understand that we didn't earn those things, but it is God who provided it. We are to be thankful in these moments, each in every circumstance. Let me give you a few different examples of how you can apply this truth. In the case of somebody's death, somebody that you love, you can be grateful that there is life beyond the grave. And if somebody is sick and it leads to death, that is the same application. But if somebody is sick, you can be grateful that we know that in our weaknesses, he has promised to give us strength. When you look at injustice in this world that is very prevalent, very evident, when we see injustice, we can know that we can be grateful that God will vindicate us. If you get a promotion, hopefully one day you'll get a promotion. Maybe you've already gotten a promotion in your life, but you can thank God for this new responsibility that he has entrusted to you. If you lose a job, you can be grateful that God will work in this situation for the good, for your good, or that God is giving you some kind of new opportunity. When he has blessed you financially, you can thank him for that. When there is financial turmoil or struggles, you can give him thanks that he has equipped you with the resources that you need. In this point, if we focus on our circumstances, you're going to be grumblings. But if you focus on the Lord, you will give thanksgiving. No one has promised that life will be easy. And I was just talking with one of our students this week while we were at camp, just because you've made these decisions and you come home and now you guys are on fire for the Lord and you guys have gone through missions camps, you guys have been through all this and you've seen how God is good and you want to come back and you want to be bold and, and, and things may not change. And you're like, what's going on? Why are things still difficult? Again, just because you're following the Lord doesn't mean that your circumstances change. The life, the things around you may not change. Not immediately, at least. It's not a guarantee. Jesus, in fact, he looks at his disciples and he says, in this world you will have tribulations. The difference is, however, is that he also follows it up by saying, but I have overcome the world. And that is the perspective that we have that leads to a continuously grateful heart. So let me end with this. Let's be honest with ourselves. When we lack joy, it's because we lose sight of God. When we become lax in prayerfulness, it's because we think of ourselves too highly. When we forget to express gratitude, it's because we put our focus in the wrong place. We must remember that doing the will of God starts by being the person that God has called us to be. If you want to do his will, the place to start is to develop an intimate relationship with God. 
It's not to say, okay, well, God, now I'm ready to be used by you. Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to do? Who do you want me to date? Is this the right person? Is this the school that you want me to go to? Those things are fine and should ask God those things. But are you even considering who he called you to be? Have you even stopped to consider these things? Hey, help me be more joyful. Help me be somebody who prays continuously. Help me be somebody that gives thanks despite what's going on in my life. And trust me that each and every one of these things, as you are more joyful, you will become somebody who continuously prays and you give thanks and vice versa. When you do these things, these things bleed into one another and you'll start to be and become the person that God has called you to be. These commands are not unrealistic. They might seem difficult, might seem hard, and out of your own strength, they are impossible. But through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can do each and every one of these things. You can do it. If you work on these areas of your life, the Lord will become more precious, more valuable to you. The trials that you face will be less devastating. The things that you seem to come up against will be less intimidating. And trust me, you'll probably be a more, fur, a, f- a more fun person to be around as well. Um, but if you want to know where uh, to find what the will of God is for your life or what the will of God is for you, this is a good place to start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this time uh, where we uh, are challenged to understand who it is that you desire for us to be. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be individuals who are seeking you Um, that are uh, joyful, not because of the things that we have, the things that we accomplish, Lord, but because of who you are. Um, That we can pray continuously, Lord, be in constant communication with you. Throughout our day, be meditating on your word, uh, Lord, giving thanks, uh, coming to you in times of struggle, um, of doubt and questions. And Lord, that we might give thanks in everything, in all circumstances, whether good or bad, Lord, knowing that... um, Lord, we can trust in you who are constant and immutable, never changing. Lord, we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Good morning and citizen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here.